Oh. Hey team. Hey team, it's Demi. I'm so happy. I've won. I can't believe it. I've longest stage in TDFF history and I did it. I won by over a minute. I'm so happy. What? What? There's someone ahead of me? No, there isn't. There... Oh, <laughs> stop it. Oh, stop the press on the Wheelhouse podcast, Kate Bates. The Tour de France Femme has had a fresh saga in stage four. Demi Vollering getting over the finish line, fist bumping like mad, and then realising she was over a minute behind in second place. What a shocker. Oh. What a shocker. You know, this has happened before in women's cycling. The 1992 Olympics, uh, when Cathy Watt won a gold medal, she won it, did a victory salute. Um, second across the line, Shawnee Longo, she did a victory salute. Zero idea that Cathy Watt was oh. up the road. But you know the difference, Joel? Technology, 30 years, race radios, like yeah. there's zero justification for how she can possibly say, oh, I didn't realise. I mean, besides the – you might actually have to cut my rants off here because besides the arrogance of the whole situation, it's just Yeah, a you shocker. have a bit to say on this. You're not too, not too chuffed with her, let's just say, regard toward the fellow members of the peloton at Demi Vollering. So in this context, mm-hmm. we're talking about Demi Nation becoming Demi Station – but you're talking about a, a level of, of demi-respect that, that is severely lacking. I think she thinks she's a demigod to, yep. <laughs> to keep on theme. <laughs> I like what you um, did there. Look, we've talked about demi here in the wheelhouse on a number of occasions because she keeps raising eyebrows. Uh, we're talking Tour de France femme now, but we raised eyebrows at Strada Bianchi when she had almost had fisticuffs with her teammate. Um, for beating her, who I might add is currently the uh, race leader and wearer of the Maillot at the Tour de France Femme. So maybe that's playing into it a little bit. Maybe Demi's feeling uh, a little bit um, imposter syndrome in her own team. You think I she's feeling a lot of pressure, maybe? A lot of, aha, uh-huh, I like what you did there. So what's happened is um, the stage is finished, stage four. Yara Castellan has crossed the line a minute ahead of the bunch. And Demi, just, just for her maiden stage, that's notice. okay. Don't worry about that, though. It's it barely even got spoken about. Everybody yep. just went and spoke to Demi about what had happened there. Um, but my issue with Demi, if I'm going to take her to issue, uh, is a comment that she made in her interview afterwards. And I want to read it out word by word to make sure I get this right. I don't want to misquote. She said, some riders, you don't know them. You see them at races, but then you forget. Oh. Right. Is that is that intended in the context which it very much sounds like it is and has been delivered in? Like is that is that a slip of the tongue where it's like oh so many names and faces and or is it like a oh, why should I remember you guys? No, I mean I think we can certainly give a little bit of leeway around English not being the first language and a little bit lost in translation. But I think even if we're kind on that fact, I do not like that she talks about people in such a forgettable way because the girl that she's talking about, I'm going to point this out, top 10 at Flesh Wallon, top 10 last year at Flesh Wallon, 13th in GC uh, at the Tour de France Femme last year. We're not talking about somebody who she may not really ever sit next to in the bunch or may not know. Further to this, Joel, they're from the same country. I was Yara going Kasselin to say. is also Dutch. Yeah. I, I just don't know how she can possibly say... 
you know, and then you forget, like you don't know the writers. And I'm I'm going to go further, Joel, and say if she doesn't know the writers, then she doesn't deserve to win because strategically, how can you possibly go into a race with all the strategies covered off, how everything's going to work, who you're racing against, and literally not even know the competition? Know who you're it's up absurd. against. absurd. Merksy has a comment on this. Hello, Merksy. Um, do they have a team car with a radio? Yeah, no, well, a good oh, point. Kate mentioned that too. Like race radio, and, and when we get to hear snippets of race radio, it's all pretty on, on the ball. It's all pretty up to date. They're not talking about stuff that happened 10 minutes ago. They're looking ahead for the most part. So mm-hmm. I, I think uh, I've got another beef here. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about today, by the way. We're going to go through the Tour de France, Femme. It's been a very exciting beginning to that. And, and of course, the longer stage uh, in the, the, the short renewed history of the event taking part in this controversy happening there. But also, of course, the Tour de France has finished. Jonas reigns supreme again. Everyone in Denmark mm. will turn out to welcome him home, I'm sure. Uh, and we're building up to Glasgow as well. So we're going to get uh, into a little bit of that and a bit of an Aussie watch, Kate. I feel like we have to put our sad pants on for that, but that's okay. Mm. Let's just stay with the Tour de France Femme for now because... I have a bit of a gripe because I think when a young rider, and, and a, a rider who's rather superb, uh, by the name of Yara Castelline, Phoenix de Koenig, she breaks through for a, st- a stage win and, and not an insignificant one at that. And then the, the, the cycling world's attention turns to Lotta. It turns to Demi. Uh, and it turns to storylines about, oh, I didn't realise I hadn't won the stage. Uh, I just, I want to ask a question the sport is the sport shooting itself in the foot by not giving these young athletes and these achievements a bit more time in the sun. And it's not isolated to this event. It happens at all the GTs. It happened throughout classic season as well. We've spoken about it before. It's safe to say I've got a slight buzzing bee in my bonnet over this one, Batesy. What do you think of it? I love a good buzzing bee in a bonnet. Um, I love it. Bit of alliteration too. Thanks for that, Joel. <laughs> it's it's a good question because I think in years past you and and having been there in the pack on the ground as media, you do get really carried away chasing the big story. And the big story in these grand tours is often seen as um, the overall race leaders, and that's where everybody runs and chases. And you do get you do talk to the stage winner, but it it isn't considered as significant. I think that. That's a wrong approach. And it really yeah. came to a head in the Tour de France um, men's because on stage 15 when Wout Pools won his stage and it was magnificent, Bahrain victorious rider, his first Tour de France stage, He's but he's been so close. It should have been this incredible moment of celebration. On the coverage, you blink, you miss it, quite literally yep. to the point where the commentator said, oh, well, that was the win, but back you know and they were a bit taken aback by it because and for I think for even commentators to say okay that's a bit strange that's really showing that they've gone a little bit haywire in terms of the way they're positioning the broadcast so it's not even just about um, who's asking the questions at the end when they're literally not even showing pictures of the stage winners because they're too busy kind of looking ahead and hedging their bets on what may happen um, at the end of the tour and, and chasing that. I, I don't like the approach to that. And now we're seeing that seep into the um, Tour de France fam by just this over-reporting of a 
really not a huge issue. Like, yeah. why are we talking about who got second in the stage other than the fact yeah. that she's got a bit of a bad attitude? It's almost clickbaity kind of reporting to an extent because it's sort of it's mm. there's there's hooks you can use that are like, oh, that sounds like a cool story. But it goes beyond that because I think even the Pog's girlfriend drama that we had uh, I think last mm. month as well. And that that sort of thing, I feel that there's this elite kind of coverage that focuses on the select few. And I just, I, I see that as highly detrimental. And as far as what what Demi does, I think that's also, and, and with all respects to SD Works and the incredible year they're having, it's a little bit representative of a team attitude at the moment as well. And I think that that, again, it's it's a little bit narrow. It's a little bit tunnel vision put the blinkers on whatever you mm. want to, whatever the expression you prefer is feel free to deploy that but it's it's just it's like you're cutting off a huge chunk of your audience and and re, you're, you're depriving mm. yourself of the ability to to win over new fans with these young superstars that are doing these incredible things but because they're not in that top three four five riders we don't we don't hear about it but the sd works thing mm. i think if you're alperson de Koenig this morning and you're going oh they okay, so they don't they don't know about our rider. They they passed through the street, wouldn't recognise it. Like that's that's incredibly disrespectful as well. Mm. I mean, another thing about the stage. So it's stage four, um, and we need to remember that because it's only eight stages, each stage has more importance than it does in the men's Tour de France. Because in the men's Tour de France, you can afford to have one or two bad days, yeah. let a break go, and you have plenty, plenty in inverted commas of time to make up for it. It's not the same in the women. So they do have to approach it differently and race it differently. Bearing that in mind, they let the break go, 14 riders, over 10 minutes up the road. Mm. That just blows my mind that they felt that that was a good strategy to start with. Um, SD Works then... They had to do a fair bit of chasing, but in doing the chasing, everything split apart, including dropping half of their own riders. It sounded like chaos at the end. Lotta Kopecky yeah. ended up attacking over the final climb um, to protect her GC because she'd lost virtual GC nearly the entire day with this massive break. And in doing so, dropped Demi. Um, Demi got back on, but Lotta said, oh, she did it to try and see if she could help Demi uh, get a little bit of distance on Annemiek van Vloten. I don't know. I think something with SD Works has not, despite the fact that they're in a pretty good position, um, obviously they're wearing the Maillot Jean and, and they've got Demi in waiting uh, for when they go up the Tourmalet on stage seven. I don't know that they're all over the strategy side of it like I would expect them to be. And and I think some mm. of the other teams um, – Movistar are kind of sitting and waiting and being a little bit more patient. Um, Lidl Trek are doing the same thing. And I think that SD Works are making themselves really vulnerable by, I don't even know, what are they doing, Joel? Like when we watch, when we're criticising the men's teams in a similar way, we can often see a little bit of method to their madness. But I cannot get my head around how SD Works are approaching this, even from a kind of, attitude point of view we spoke about last week obviously uae uh when pog was doing it really tough and mark soler sort of doing what he had to do to help him out and there were three or four really good examples of that collegiate sort of look it's good it gives you the warm and fuzzy feels sure but it's also tactically it's very very smart to ensure that they are working together when they need to and i think there's been a Mm. little bit of a an absence of that and this sort of 
individual mindset that, as you say, could prove rather detrimental uh, in the long run as well because they've been so dominant all year. Uh, and dare I say, maybe it's mm. gone to individual heads potentially. Mm. Well, we'll have to see how to roll. It's, they've got a few uh, flat stages to come, so some sprinters um, get to have a little bit of fun there and they've got Lorena Vibes. Yeah. Um, for SD work. So, like, they're, they're sitting pretty in terms of Lodica Pecky's uh, in really good form. Demi's sitting second in overall. Um, Lorena Vibes now has two opportunities to potentially win a stage. Um, so they're good in that regard. But I want to see where Charlotta Cool and DSM, they come into it because they've been sitting back a little bit uh, yeah. at the beginning of the race. I think there's a few more opportunities for there. And maybe for the Aussies as well, Joel, because the Aussies... It, mostly our approach there, like the 12 riders we have competing, more of them are suited to the flat, um, punchier stages with a sprint finish. And we haven't had a lot of that so far. So Alex Manley, um, I think, is probably the one to look at in that regard. But Spratty Blue Shoes, mm. sitting, uh, she's sitting 13th overall. She's a couple of minutes down. But I think if you look forward to what's going to happen on the Tourmalet, it's the only like really major climb in the eight day race. Go in terms of GC, whatever happens on the Tourmalet happens on GC. This is all like just kind of small fodder in the meantime. A couple of minutes is nothing for Spratty, no. let's be honest. Nothing. No, I mean, gosh, we saw Pog, you know, explode and lose a couple of minutes, and yeah, that was in in a couple of different circumstances. He ended up finishing. Such a significant way down. So I don't think we can look at the GC and rider off yet. This disconnect, just on SVD Works quickly. So this disconnect that you're you're speaking about and the tactic, a little bit of a tactical, let's just call it a fruit salad. Um, <laughs> oh, that's, that's a good term, actually. I like that. Yeah. An old, an aging fruit salad with <laughs> yeah. banana in it. So I, I want to, I'm just curious because Lotta Kopecky, wasn't she entered the presser after stage four? Still, I'm not 100% sure she still had mm. the yellow and that virtual lead obviously changing, as you alluded to, with that distance with the break and everything. Who's to blame there? Is that a team car? Is that like mm. how do they not know? Is my question. How do you? I know it's a long stage, but FFS, it's 2023. You're mm. loaded with devices, you've got data, you've got signal. Surely you know what's going on. Oh, I, I can't see a good reason. I mean, the car has to have something to do with it because you've got race radio, which is the team directors talking to the athletes. We've heard that a bit on the coverage. Um, but we've also got Radio Tour, which is uh, they sit in the car and they give the teams all of the information. How many kilometres left to go? If there's a hairy corner coming up, they'll warn them about that. Um, which riders are in the break? They will read the numbers of the riders. They will um, give specific and regular updated time gaps so we haven't heard anything about a catastrophic failure in the responsibility of radio tour which we would know about if that was the case yeah. so therefore it's the team either the team management haven't passed it on which i can't imagine maybe oh i like a conspiracy theory here joel maybe they've pulled their radios out of their ear i don't know okay. that's possible they've gone rogue but but otherwise, a, I mean, what a Formula as Maxi One thing says, like it's there's no real reason for them to not be to not have access to that information, and so yeah. you know, I think it's just a sideshow. All mm. of this uh, conjecture—it's like they're trying to get the attention, and here we are talking about them. 
So maybe, in fact, yeah. they have won the day. <laughs> well, maybe they're just smarter than all of us, and that's you know that could be, that could be a two. Overall, though, the the TDFF so far. Uh, I want to ask what you've made of the stages. We've seen a few abandonments. We've seen some crashes, as as we do as well. Uh, has anything bothered you mm. other than a performance point of view, a safety point of view, anything like that? Have you enjoyed what you've seen? Yeah, I think it's been a tighter ship actually than the men's race in terms of um, there's been no real safety concerns to speak of. Uh, if anything, the first stage I think was harder than what anybody had really imagined looking at the road book. And so we actually saw a lot of um, break up ver very early in the stage. And then I think that led to some of the, um, opportunity that Lotta Kopecky took towards the end because everybody's heads were spinning a little bit. But that's really, that's nothing to do with the organisation of the race or how it's going. I think it's more um, just the approach. The women's teams don't necessarily have the same time um, and budget to do the extensive recon that the men have. And so I kind of hope in the future that um, courses are released a little bit earlier so there is more opportunity to really understand that. But I think it's going really well. It, I mean, my eyebrows have been raised, might I say, um, at the prize money. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But I, mm. I don't um, yet see this as elevated to the status that it could. Um, eight days, I just, like, why eight? You know, yeah. the, the women's Giro is 10. Um, yeah. And that's an absolute circus. <laughs> We've talked about that uh, in the past, what a mess that is. But it's still 10 days. Um, yeah. So I reckon... You know they've got the they've got the spotlight in terms of ASO who organise it. I want them to add more days. I want it to be at least ten days, if not uh, two weeks. And yep. and then the Tourmalet, the one stage, won't play into GC with such importance because they'll have a second one or a third one um, to be able to balance it out a little bit. Yeah, yeah, very 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 very, <laughs> very well said. <laughs> on the Wheelhouse Podcast. My name's Joel Spreadbury. You're hearing the thoughts, insights, analysis, wisdom, and humour of Catherine Bates as well. Now, let's let's talk about the TDF because it's over. Um, in, in, if you've been living under a rock, uh, Tour de France <laughs> has indeed finished with Jonas Vingegaard, I think completing 7 minutes 29, uh, I believe, as they <laughs> eventually cross that finish line. And we spoke last week about the epic nature of the time gap. Um, mm -hmm. Let's talk about his performance, but also I, I like what I've read from Pog in the aftermath, of course, and, and let's qualify this. We had to, I want to do this again. You're finishing second in the Tour de France. That's still very, very good. That is still very, very good. Yeah. But when every, everything, the whole year has been building up to the battle between Pog and Jonas, the Slovenian lost badly. I think that's safe to say. So in the aftermath, uh, Yumbo and, and Jonas have basically come out and said, yeah, look, we, that was the plan. We planned to crack Pog. This was it. We were going to get him on, on those hilly stages and leading into that time trial, he was going to be absolute mashed potatoes and just not up for it. That was our plan. Pog's come back and said, that might've been their plan. I know they tried, but I cracked myself. He said, they didn't crack me. I cracked myself. What do you make of this? Is this like, is this a little bit of, of, of sort of, you know, you know, what am I trying to say? That stiff upper lip, like stoicism from Pog? Or is he legitimately thinking, no, no, no. I, you know, if, if I hadn't had such a truncated preparation, if I would have treated my fractured wrist a little bit better, I would have been fine. But I cracked myself mm. in the sense that my buildup was a bit of a mess. 
Yeah, it's an interesting view, I think, and we could look at it in a couple of different ways. I would, from the outset, disagree. I think that yeah. they did crack him, regardless of um, his pre-preparation, whatnot. The fact that they raced so aggressively and so strategically, I think, you know, if, if we are honest about it, their racing caused him some, you know, real catastrophe in the overall but it, I think it's a bit interesting to view it how he does because he's saying, ah, you know, they attacked me and they didn't crack. And then the next day I came out and I won. So it wasn't that. But I think that it's 21 days. It It's cumulative. So even if he felt okay and didn't, you know, to use that word crack, so to speak, um, when they did attack him, it bit him in the butt the next day. So I think yeah. ultimately... They did. But he's got a fair point. He didn't have the beautiful preparation and lead-in that he wanted to, but that is cycling. Like, look at um, all of the Grand Tours uh, in the last couple of years. Everyone has had a story about somebody who should have been there but wasn't, should have gotten to the finish but didn't. I mean, even if you look at Roglic last year and his dislocated shoulder, if you look at Remco in the Giro, there's so many shoulda, coulda, woulda, didn't. And the fact that he lined up, he put himself out there, I think, for a bit of criticism in terms of um, his preparation. But I don't know. I, like, I think Jonas's approach um, mm. and his fitness, I think even Pogarty's best. I mean, we're talking about seven minutes and 29 seconds. We're not talking about yeah. like, oh, you know, I cracked myself. I didn't have a great preparation. That's the 30 seconds. Seven and a half minutes. I don't know. I, don't, I remain unconvinced. <laughs> it's a long time. Well, he, he went on to say the only moment they actually tried to crack me was on uh, Marie Blanc. And that was yeah. like, I, I I don't think so. I don't think so, Tiger. That wasn't the only time they tried and succeeded, but that's all right. He, he mm. Pog says, and, and credit to him for saying he was so much better. The day after Marty Blanc, they tried to crack me completely, but I won that stage. So they didn't succeed there. Um, but then... We had the brutal crack. We did have a very, very brutal cracking. And as you say, we have a seven minute 29 thing. I'd, I'd love to see next year both of them have an uninterrupted, smooth, clear, the preparation that they both need and that they both want. I'd love mm. to see that. Uh, I just, I can't help but feel that this is, and I'd, I love Pog. I love his attitude in general. Uh, I love that he's got a bit of swagger about him, but also a lovely, yeah. a lovely degree of humility. This one strikes me as a little bit of, that just defiance, but a little bit of that stubborn, if I was at my best, look out kind of thing. And that's that's the fascinating question that we'll all be wondering about. Now, Jonas is going to be uh, at La Vuelta, which is excellent news. Catherine Bates, have you got our tickets so secured good. yet? Oh, yeah, yep. The plane tickets have been booked, Merksy. Are you on it? Yeah, we're getting some budget together. Okay, getting some budget excellent. together. So that means we could be going over in an inflatable boat, but that's all right. That's hey, fine. look, look, choose your battles, Joel. I mean, do you want to go or not? Like <laughs> choose inflatable your vehicle. boat, it might have to be. <laughs> we'll do it Mission Impossible style. We'll ride on the wing of a cargo plane. Um, oh, let's do it. I exciting, think it's though. Exciting. It is. Well, I mean, beside the fact that we've been looking forward to it already because of um, Remco and Roglic and um, Garrett Thomas and a bit of a rerun from the Juro with. Roglic and Thomas, bringing Jonas in kind of elevates, I think, uh, Yumbo to this incredible level of they're going to be very, very hard to beat. And they've got yeah. 
almost the numbers game. But I also really like that Jonas has got this in renewed confidence because last year after he won the tour, it was all a little bit overwhelming and he more or less took the rest of the season off. I mean, not from training and he did a few races, but he stayed out of the spotlight and he didn't really want a bar of it. This time around, he's looked at the Vuelta uh, map and gone, oh, it's actually pretty similar to the Tour de France. I rocked it there. I feel good. I'm fit and I'm not tired. I'm going to focus on that. But he did say, Joel, he gave himself a week to enjoy uh, what he just achieved. Okay. A whole week. A week. I tell you, um, what, it would take a week to peel me off the bike after yes. that effort. Well, it's, and we, because we also have to look at the season in the context of this year, we've got worlds wedged in between the Tour de France and the Vuelta. So there's a lot of athletes who, wouldn't be wouldn't be doing both grand tours because worlds is a big focus for them and it's wedged in the middle. But yeah. for Jonas, he's not interested in worlds. It's not a course that either suits him or he could necessarily be very helpful. Um, Why does he, he care about the world when he's the master of the universe, Kate Bates? <laughs> Everybody cares about rainbows, Joel. Yeah, yeah. There, there will hey, look, be a, a bit of history. That him. That's yeah, fair enough. And look, as far as you're talking about that set, that career set that this guy's going to have, his mental piece mm-hmm. is going to be you know, heavily um, encumbered when he retires by, by his accolades. Looking at Yumbo, mm. uh, if, if he gets there, and as you say, this, this absolute all-star team comes together and rocks it, as we all know they probably probably will, uh, Yumbo will be the first team, I believe, to win the three GTs. Uh, yeah. That is extraordinary. That's it is extraordinary. Stat. I mean, we know that they're a super team, but... One of the things that Jonas said, he there was this beautiful interview afterwards um, that he was quite candid and relaxed and talked about um, how he was so comfortable. Um, but they asked him what his highlight of the tour was and said there must be a lot of moments, but if you could pick one. And without hesitation, um, he replied how they rode as a team, how Yumbo worked together, that they had very clear strategies and meetings every day. They went out, they executed. He didn't feel that there was any um, chinks in that armor as well. What a good feeling. Like, so not only Amazing. is he feeling super confident in himself, but yep. Yumbo as a whole unit um, can feel pretty confident. And there's been a bit of conjecture about this, of course, because Wout and his dummy spit and the bidden throwing and blah, blah, blah. But I actually think that, you know, from the inside, they're a pretty tight unit. With yep. that in mind, nobody, there's, there's no other team that is spoken about in the same way externally or internally. And I think that they've just elevated themselves another level with all of this. Merxy's on the line. Well, who do they ride for? Primoz or Jonas? Well, they're joint leaders. I think that, I don't know, when you've each I think they ride for whoever's in the best shape after a, a, a couple of stages, don't they? Well, yeah, but I mean, I think often you have to make tough decisions in the mountains of who to who to favour and who to work with. So you yep. make a really good point, though, that it kind of self-selects to a degree, right? Um, well, you look at Primoz, so how many tears has he got in his lycra? How many gashes has he got on his knees? Oh, no, he's doing okay. Yeah. How many times he's... has his shoulder popped out? In this, yeah, exactly. How many um, dislocated <laughs> shoulders have we popped back in? Look at Jonas, you're going to be looking at that fatigue. You're going to be looking at that load. You're also going to be looking at that mental toll because, as you mm. said, Last year's tour victory took an enormous toll on on a on a young, shy man who last week we were saying is 
obviously a bit of an introvert. They're, all of these factors play into it. If he gets mm. through some early stages and isn't quite there mentally, then then of course you go with Rog. But yeah. I, I, I flip of the coin leading in. Obviously, we're not we're not inside the walls. At Yumbo, but I'd, I'd love to be. I'd love to know what Ooh, they're thinking. I know. Fly on the wall, right? I, I actually think that if they've got the relationship that it appears that they have, that they speak about that they have between um, Roglic and Vingigo, I don't think that it will be a bad thing. I think it will only mm. elevate them and that yep. in, the, in that heat of the moment out on the road, they trust each other and the team enough that the decision will be made for the best outcome. For the yep. team, and that means you know the individuals as well. But it, oh, what I find really interesting, um, Joel, I'm going to do it. I'm going to I'm going to bring up Patrick Lefevre. I, I know you. Of course you are. That's fine. Save Would you like me. me to hold the Darth Vader mask. <laughs> Almost right. Um, but I think that he must be kind of shaking in his boots seeing uh, Yumbo go so well, and I reckon he'd yep. be offended by all the wonderful media talking about how good Yumbo is. <laughs> yeah, he's made a comparison. Has he's he called him a, a a mastodon, a mastodon, a, a woolly mammoth, I believe. Oh yes, I, I was. It's about a compliment to say, is from that what, him. You know, like yeah. out of Ice Age, that kids movie. You know that yeah. crazy. Yeah, I think right. a ma- mastodon, mastodon, something like that. It's it's in his in his world. I think that's a, a compliment. Mastodon is a mastodon. <laughs> I was right. Um, right. It's a well, woolly mammoth. So it's, yeah. It's interesting that um, he says that because that's do, do we say that's a compliment? It's almost well, I don't a compliment, know. What's right? the Australian equivalent saying like, "Oh, geez, that guy's great. He's like a bloody prize beef cow." <laughs> yeah, that's a compliment. He's a he's a he's a show winning prize winning bullock. <laughs> okay, bullock. well, so that we'll we'll put that in the compliment box because yeah, it's a compliment. Um, I then did a little bit of digging because you know. I don't have enough spare time, so Patrick Lefevre, um, Googles, fill that up. He came back. People then said to him, so they must be the overwhelming favourite against your team and against Remco uh, heading into the Vuelta. And uh, he's come back and he's said um, no because he said we're here with the same team that won Omlope, E3, Ronde van Vlaanderen, Fleshwellein, we won like almost yeah. capital letters, right? And then he says, I don't see much difference. Now, forgive me if my maths is wrong here, Joel, but I see a very glaring dis- difference. If you add all of those race days together that he's just mentioned, um, they still don't equal a tour because they're one-day races. They're classics. Yep. Yep. So I don't know that him turning up at a grand tour with his classics team and suggesting that because they've won – Tour of Flanders, that that means that there's no difference to their competitiveness against Yumbo. Yeah, it's I'm an incredibly it. different uh, different game board. I, I I feel for the the riders because if that's what he's saying publicly, can can you imagine the internal expectations on that oh, team? Uh, we already know a lofty, but obviously, when Pride's been taking a little bit of a kicking, which it sounds like it has, um, Pat Patty's turning and putting the heat on those guys as well. And as as he should to a degree, but, uh, you know, you can only do what you can do. Oh, Jonas yeah. is there. Primoz yeah. is there. Like, you can only do what you can do. It's it's the smack talk that emerges from the managers that I find quite amusing. Maybe he wants to just get his mitts onto some of that eye-watering prize money that uh, 
that we see GTs for men and women. And okay, can we just start with the tour? This this shocks me every year. I don't know why, but <laughs> we'll talk about the men's and then we'll go into the women's because that's even more of a travesty. But the the what they're riding for and putting themselves through for the Tour de France. So let's do a quick comparison. I think it's about six hundred. Uh, I haven't got it in front of me. I apologise, but six hundred thousand euros is that correct, roughly? It's, so it's five hundred thousand euros for the fellas to win. Five hundred thousand, okay. All right. Yep. It's fifty thousand euros to win a stage. Fifty thousand, yep. Right. So unless these guys are going to get professional football contracts, I don't think they're riding for the money. Like, let's be honest. The, we're, the basketballers, the football soccer players, they make millions and millions, some of them hundreds of millions of dollars on contracts. Uh, this is particularly small fry. But, um, you know, I love a deep dive, Joel. Do you know what I've done? I've calculated the difference between the men's and the women's prize money. Because you should some be an accountant. People, oh, yeah, I should be. I should look that up. Some people, when you talk about equal prize money, you know what they say, Joel? They say, ah, the men race longer. They say it's 21 days, the women's is only eight. Totally. Yeah. So I'm not going to take away from that. So what I did was I broke it down to how much they actually raced. And if you break it down to how much they race, so if we're just paying like per kilometre essentially, there is a 175% difference for stages um, for the women versus the men. And for the overall, there's a 281% um, difference, oh, obviously, wow. on both sides, the men making more. So if you think the men are making Zippo, the women, it's just what, an absolute shocker. What What do they get? What What's the stage uh, in, the, in the fam? What's it worth? 4,000 euros. Um, 4,000 euros for a stage win. So yeah, versus 11,000. Yara 11, over 180 kilometres for 4,000 euros. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Al Halal, uh, mm. funded by the Saudi Investment Fund, has just made an offer of four hundred ninety-three million dollars for Kylian Mbappe. This is a different sport, sure. That's football, French captain, superstar, whatever. That's to play football there for less than a year. Jason Day, the Australian golfer, pocketed one point six million dollars for getting a a share of runner-up at the British Open over the weekend. Um, Fear of runner-up. God, it's depressing. Uh, yeah, runner-up. Yeah, we've seen... Look, let, let's be fair. We've seen advances in a lot of sports. So women's football is a good example. The Women's World Cup happening at the moment. It's not there by any stretch. But this is another one of these issues, Kate. I can feel the the itchiness of, of aggravation coming on me again because this is another one of those issues that if you're growing the sport and you're wanting to get more people involved, more people following it, more people participating, mm -hmm. strengthening those elite ranks... Where's the enticement financially? Uh, I, I I understand arguments that the money might not be there in all cases, but there is a there is a lot of money in cycling. Let's be completely mm. honest. Cycling in Europe, there is a effing lot of money, uh, <laughs> and this this all feeds into that big issue I was talking about before. How we we look at those top tier riders, and we do we look at the Jonas's and the Pogs. Their bank accounts are. They're doing fine. They're doing okay. They're they're making a lot of money outside of these prize packets for gts some of these other riders because they don't have that profile because they don't have that exposure they don't get those opportunities so where's the enticement for them and where's the enticement for those that are coming after them oh and i mean the prize money it's an absolute joke if we even just go okay if the prize money is a joke at least they get boosted up by their 
um, salaries. No, not really in the bigger scheme no. of things. We're talking about a sport. I, In my view, Joel, it's commercially broken because yep. it is literally life and death sometimes for these riders. And they're being paid relative peanuts compared to what they could be paid. There are more fans. The, the Tour de France um, men's every year is the biggest annual sporting event on the planet. Yeah. Right? People, billions of people watch it around the world. So why aren't they getting a cut of the broadcast rights for that? Like where is exactly. their slice of the pie? Why are so many people making money off them, off the back of them, but not them? I don't like it's, it. It's, I it is, think it, it stinks. I think it's a matter of of when we see more athlete action on this. We are living in an mm. era of strike. We are living in an era of protest. We're seeing it. Right now, uh, the NRL, the National Rugby League, is having a very ugly standoff over a pay dispute to the point where the players are saying, we're not even going to, we're going to cover up the, the badge on our jerseys. We are that filthy. And it's, it's optically, it's ugly to the public, sure, but you watch it get results. We're in that kind of era where athletes are taking a stand. Whatever, whatever the issue is, if it's, if it's greenwashing, if it's financial, they're taking these stands. And I'll be really, really interested to see where this leads. Can you imagine if we got to a point where we're on the start of next year's Tour de France, a Grand Depart, and all of a sudden 100 riders don't turn up? Can you, can you imagine? I'm just saying hypothetically, there is a world, there is a timeline where that exists. And that imagine, imagine what that would do to the sport. Yeah. I, and, you know, I think fans also have to be prepared to put a bit more in their pockets and support this. And I say that in the context of um, we went to see uh, the Football World Cup. The family has been to two different games yeah. uh, with the kids and we've bought jerseys and we've bought tickets and we've bought food um, at the venues and we've really supported it. And a big reason for that is because it may never again, probably never again in our lifetime have a football world cup in Australia. Like it's so exciting, right? All of these fans are going to the roadside at the Tour de France. A lot of them sadly are actually even putting the athletes in danger, but they're not spending any money for the athletes that dribbles back. They might be spending money on the local economies and buying produce and staying. And it's great for the French economy, but they're not spending money on gear that, you know, feeds back into the teams or ticket prices or things like that that can be fed back. And I don't know the answer to that, Joel, but I think until cycling addresses that, you know, there is, there's just going to be this battle between, but it costs this much and, you know, the, the payment to the riders sits outside the people who are actually benefit, benefiting from it. Because I tell yeah. you, ASO isn't a uh, not-for-profit business. No. So it's, no. it kind of seems a bit unfair that they are taking all of their, the only thing they give back to the riders is a broadcast and a race and, you know, pittance for prize money. But what's the point of a broadcast if we don't even know half of the riders in there? Hello, Merksy. <laughs> NBA, players receive 50% of all mm. revenue. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's... uh. It's not it's not standard, but it's pretty common in in some of these codes, and especially in the states because it is worth so much money, and that then means that the players, the clubs, the teams are extremely obligatory for the most part when it comes to promoting the sport, not just promoting themselves, but 
getting out to the grassroots, getting out to the fans and doing all of that because it's worth their while to do so. Where I think, and this might be a controversial opinion, but I think cycling still has a, a, a giant wall for the most part. Uh, I know that fans can get really close to the riders as they're racing, but outside race days and all of that, it can be a little bit of a, a, a hay, what do you call it? The haystack, the tumbleweed. Mm. It can be a little bit of a tumbleweed in the in the wild, wild west where we don't know who they are, what they're doing. We don't want to, we don't want to see them 24 seven. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying get out, get about and make it worth their while to do so. I agree. I mean, go buy their kit. And I mean, while you're at it, go buy our kit. Wheelhouse has kit. What so a convenient segue, the wheelhouse what a convenient stop. Segue. But I, I do 24 seven. <laughs> if you're a fan of the sport and you genuinely care and you want to see it grow. Yeah. Spend money on it. It's not cool to wear team kit out on the road. Oh, well, you would. See. You would if it was Peter Sagan's used tour. Likely actually, you'd be wearing it. Um, look, on that note. On on that note, I, I think actually under your hands on the desk, Joel, may be a um, world champions jersey from Peter Sagan, uh, a yeah, Bora one that Merksy. Did you not purchase that Merksy? I don't wear it on oh. the road. <laughs> I love how Merksy's qualified on the road. On I don't wear road. it on the road. I wear it to bed. I wear it around the house. <laughs> I wear it under my shirt every day, but I never wear it on the road. Yes. Well, no, there you look, go. Fair point. I, I, <laughs> if... I get what Merksy's saying. Okay, that's fair. It's Lycra. Make a bloody polo shirt then. Right. Make a polo shirt. Who cares? Well, yeah, Make some kit. Buy the Lycra and wear it cleaning the house like Merksy's. <laughs> like Merksy's. <laughs> Just buy it. We do wear the caps. We like the caps. The caps are fantastic. Yeah, basketball caps. They are. Uh, let's let's talk with the Wheelhouse Podcast. Almost out of time on this edition, which I believe is edition number fifty-seven. Where does the time go now? An, an athlete whose name has been mentioned, I'm going to say probably seven or eight thousand times over fifty-seven episodes, uh, and I'm going to let Merksy announce it for this one. Is a guy that that lit up a, a stogie uh, in Paris on the Champs Elysees at the end of the tour because it was time to put the queue in the rack and and sign off after an incredible incredible journey. Who am I talking about, uh, Merksy? Why so serious, Joe? Peter Sagan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, lovely scenes, Kate Bates, uh, Peter Sagan. Our, our mate Merksy's absolute favourite. Um, nine tours. Not bad. He said, you know what, though? It's, oh, I'm glad it's over. I'm glad it's um, is is he speaking like that because he's just chugged down a giant cigar? He's choking on his cigar, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. yeah. I mean, fair to say that it wasn't the most remarkable Tour de France he's had, but who cares? I mean, I think at this point in his career, he's done so much. He deserves to be celebrated. Um, I, I am biased, of course, because Merksy, um, you know, requires me to be uh, on his side on this one. No, he, I think that... Peter Sagan is such a character and we'll miss him. I mean, yeah. where did he even get the cigar? Is, is cigar smoking a thing in Paris? I might have missed a beat. It is a thing. But talking of merchandise, that guy sold a lot of merchandise. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Peter Sagan. sponsors. Limited edition cigars. Not the best <laughs> message for young people, but there's, there's a revenue stream. But no. no look, absolutely. <laughs> characters like that in the sport, they sell. And there are... Probably hundreds of similar characters with great personalities and charisma and humour that we never bloody hear from. I won't get back into it, but I'm just saying. It does my head in. It really does. <laughs> but 
Back to Sagan. We love him. He's coming on the show. I can't tell you exactly when, but him and Merksy are very dear mates. And just to c- confirm, Kate, his jersey isn't here on the on the desk because Merksy's wearing it. Uh, I, yes, I he's in mourning um, for, yeah. for a, a last generation. But next week we're going to uh, do a nice preview of Worlds, um, Joel, because... You know, Peter Sagan is not finished yet. But interestingly, and everybody might not have realised this on the dates, the men's road race at the World Championships uh, is next week on the 6th of August, but the women's isn't until the 13th of August. Um, And so we're going to have a whole week and a whole festival and two wonderful different shows to be able to celebrate uh, the World Championships like we did last year in Wollongong. Um, but that's going to be exciting. Yes, the sure disaster, Philipson, he's up for it. If it. The question that lingers, is Caleb Ewan going to get some comeuppance by performing there? Oh, so many questions that need answering next week, Joel. Early tip, too oh, early. Oh, God, it is pretty early. Um, okay. You'd have to go for Philipson based off his um, form to date. However, I think Belgium also have an opportunity uh, with Wout Van Aert, so okay, you know Wout will be back and freshly, uh, in, mm-hmm. you know, fatherhood bliss and all of that I mean, sort of thing. Fairly typical that I would pick him. Like, yeah, you know, there's some themes yeah. emerging here. Merksy, um, early pick from you. I'm going to say Tadej Pogacar. Yeah, I know. Ooh. Okay, Pogacar for the bounce back. Going to. Oh, look, he won. He did. He won so many things in the classics. So let's not. Yeah. Let's not say it's not possible. Okay. All right. All right. Well, uh, I, I, I'm going to go with Wout as well. Really, really early, and I reserve the right to change this without notice. But I just think he has had a bit of a year where we saw so much one-day dominance, and then we saw a bit of second fiddle happening in the longer races, and I think that. We love Wout, but there's a little bit of pride and ego there, and I think it could just be one of those beast mode sort of things on a course that's kind of, you know, not terrible for him either. I don't know, early days, just making a call on the Wheelhouse podcast. Feel free to let us know how wrong we are on any of the topics, or correct (laughs) is also welcome. Uh, Like, share, subscribe, tell everyone you know. Uh, Kate Bates, we'll, we'll do it all again. We'll see you next week. All right. Hey guys, it's Demi again. Yeah, it turns out I came second. Yeah, she's. I don't know her name. I don't know her By name. A full does, that, does that even matter? <laughs> no, I don't know who she is. Goodbye. See you next time. Oh.